0: Thank you for listening to Overcomers Church International Weekly Message. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened as you hear the Word of God. I want to share the Word with you, and I'm going to kind of pick up from where I left off last week, and I've been talking about revelation coming from the Spirit, and about having our spiritual eyes opened up, uh, and, and about God just pulling back the curtain and revealing things, and so then last week I went in to talk about that we need to think like God thinks. So it's not just having God's knowledge, but it's thinking like he thinks. So it says that we've been given the mind of Christ. And if you think about somebody's mind, if you've been given their mind, it means that you have the capacity to think like they think. So you need to have their knowledge, but you also need to process things like they process things. You know, I was thinking about if you had if you had like Isaac Newton's uh, mind, if you were somehow <laughs> able to get his, his not only his brain, but also his, his soul, the way he processes, if you were able to take that and, and put that in you, then you could think like him, you could believe like him, you could have the, the intellectual capacity like him. Well, it says that we have the mind of Christ. It doesn't say pray that God will give it to you. It says that we have the mind of Christ. So that means that we have the capacity within us to think like he thinks, to believe like he believes, to speak like he speaks. And I'm just so lit on fire by this, this revelation. It's almost like, it's not really a new revelation to me, but it's gone to a whole nother level to where I'm now I'm comparing everything that I'm doing, everything that I'm looking at going, how would God think about this? How would Jesus think about this? And really my goal is to where I get my mind, my will, and my emotions in line fully with my spirit, man, because the Bible says that we've become one with him. He who is joined unto the Lord is one with him. Well, that's not automatically in our, in our mind, will, and emotions. That's in our, in our spirit. And so the goal is, is that once we get born again, then we're in the process of renewing our mind to where we think we act, we speak, we believe, our emotions and our will, everything is in perfect line with our spirit man, which of course is already one with the Lord. And when we do that, then that's when the mind of Christ on the inside of us begins to manifest in our life. You know, um, Liz and I were talking recently, and this was so powerful. And, and uh, we were talking about in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and in verse 2, it says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that word transform is the Greek word "metamorphu," and it's where we get our, our word metamorphosis from. And so if you want an explanation of, of metamorphosis, you can look at a tadpole becoming a, a bullfrog, or you could look at a caterpillar becoming a butterfly, and there's a process there that takes place. Um, But but what's awesome is in specific looking at the caterpillar, you know, everything about the caterpillar, he crawls on the ground, he crawls on his belly, I guess he climbs up in, in a tree oftentimes, and that's where they'll spin their cocoon. And there's a process when they're in their cocoon that there is a work that's being done. But the reality is, is that when they come out of the cocoon, they turn into a butterfly. And if you were to look at a caterpillar and you were to look at a butterfly, they don't hardly look anything alike. It's amazing. Caterpillars as a whole are actually kind of ugly. If you ask me, they're kind of ugly. We you look at a butterfly, you know, we've got this big, is that a big lilac bush we got out there? what's that big bush? A lilac bush. We've got this huge lilac tree or bush or whatever. And I was looking at it yesterday and I was looking, there was a whole bunch of butterflies that were on it. And I was thinking, man, those are amazing. Those are awesome. But you know that if those butterflies came out of their cocoon and had become a butterfly, but never realized that they had wings and could, and started to fly, I never would have seen those butterflies And my point with this is that we have been born again. But the problem is, is that so many of us are like a a beautiful butterfly arrayed with amazing colors, arrayed with tremendous things, but we still think like a mere man and we don't think like God thinks. Because see, how God sees you is different than how you see you. How God sees you is like a total, complete butterfly if you will. I can't think of a better way to say it. Whatever whatever your color butterfly looks like in the spirit amen. That's how God sees you. And we need to start to see ourselves like that. And how do we do that? It's to where we start taking on the mind of God. Where we start thinking like God. We have the knowledge that comes from God and we have the knowledge of God. We have the mind of God. We have the mind of Christ to where we don't think like a mere man but we think like a spiritual man. It says in In Romans, I believe it's chapter 6, it says to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So to be carnally minded just means that we're of the five senses. To be spiritually minded means that you think, you believe, you meditate on things that are beyond what you can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. Things beyond the, the natural, the carnal. God says that if we can think like a spiritual man, we'll have life and peace. And I really believe, and, and my goal is that I, I want to continue to encourage people, and I actually feel like this is part of my life mission, is to encourage people to look at how God made them and what God says about them and begin to think from that respect instead of just thinking and believing and acting on what they can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. So when you're, when you're given situations, life gives you situations such as dealing with your finances or dealing with a health problem or dealing with a relationship issue, no matter what it is, or just dealing with the fact that that God has prophesied and promised so many things, but yet you're looking at yourself going, no way. There ain't no way I can accomplish that. Whatever it is that you're facing, if you and I can come to a place to where we stop thinking like a carnal man and we start thinking like God, we start seeing things like God sees and like God thinks, That's when we're gonna manifest the fullness of what God has for us. The Lord gave me this saying. I'm gonna read it so I don't mess it up. He said, partial revelation equals partial application. And partial application equals partial results. So if you only have partial revelation, you're only gonna be able to apply that part of what you have. And if that's all you can apply, then that is all of the, the manifestation or the result that you're going to get. Now, if it's true one way, it's also true the other. Complete revelation equals complete application, which equals complete results. There is a completeness and a wholeness that we have in Christ Jesus that we just don't understand what we have. Most of what we see, and I don't know if you've ever seen the things about the Titanic and the iceberg that, you know, that it ran into And the whole problem with the Titanic wrecking is that they only could see a small portion of the iceberg, but the iceberg went deep, deep down in the water and was big and huge and broad and wide. And I believe that we are similar to that iceberg, cold and frigid. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) No, in Jesus' name, we're on fire for God. But there is way more below the surface than what we can see. There's only so much that we're seeing. But this is why Jesus so many times, I'd like to go in and do a count, but so many times he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. If you can hear what the Spirit is saying, listen to the words, listen to my voice. You know, as far as seeing things in the Spirit, a lot of that comes from words. You know that words are the most powerful thing. I really believe the words are the most powerful thing in the universe, Because God spoke the whole world into existence by his words. And when you can begin to see on the inside something, you'll manifest it on the outside. This is really what hope is all about. Hope is having a proper picture of what God says on the inside. And when you see it on the inside, eventually you're going to see it on the outside. And so this is where words will come in and paint pictures. So if I tell you, if I say to you, dog you're going to instantly think of some kind of dog. You're not going to think D-O-G. You're going to think of a dog. You're going to think of a big dog, a little dog, a shaggy dog, a skinny dog, a fat dog, a lazy dog, a hyper dog. You're going to think of some kind of dog. Why? Because words create pictures. I could say the same thing about a chair or a wall or anything. You're going to develop a picture in your mind, and you're going to think according to that picture that's been developed in your mind. This is why we have to take God's words and put them in us to develop the pictures of what God says about us. This is why the Bible refers to itself as a mirror. And if you want to know what you look like spiritually, you you can't just determine how you are spiritually by how you feel. As a matter of fact, right before we were were, uh, coming up here, I was getting ready to come up here and minister. I was going through something where I was thinking, I don't really feel like ministering. (laughs) So I had to go in and say, you know what? I know that what's on the inside of me has the capacity to release the life of God. And so father, I thank you that my mind, will, and emotions are coming in line with my spirit man. And boom, I begin to get a picture of me ministering. And so here I am standing here. We have to begin to take what God's word says, anything that God's word says, we have to believe that over how we feel. We have to believe that over just how our our carnal senses relate to us. And if you want to see how you really are, who you really are, spiritually speaking, you have to go to the word of God to bring that to, to light. It says in Philemon's chapter one, only one chapter in Philemon's verse six. It says that the communication, and this is what he's praying, that the communication of your faith will become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing in you in Christ Jesus. So in other words, you communicating your faith to whatever, to somebody else, to your circumstances, to yourself, whatever it is, the way that becomes effective is by acknowledging every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Number one, you can't acknowledge something that's not already in existence You can only acknowledge something that's there. I can acknowledge the the few people that are in the room here. Why? Because they're here. They're in existence. If they weren't here, then I couldn't acknowledge them. But also, if you're going to acknowledge something, you have to know that it's there. And the only way that you can know that something is there is that you have to have it shown to you, revealed to you, given to you. And how do we do that concerning who we are spiritually? It's the word of God. That's how knowledge comes to us. That's how revelation comes to us. Amen. And so, where I ended up um, last week, I I ended in 2 Peter chapter 1. I believe this is where I ended roughly. 2 Peter chapter 1. I just want to read this, and then I want to share some things with you for a few moments from this passage. But 2 Peter chapter 1, in verse 2, it says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And verse 3 says, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. So the difference between somebody who is walking in the fullness of what God has versus somebody that has all of the same stuff who's not walking in any of it, it simply is knowledge. Now, it's, again, it, it's not just knowledge, it's also learning to think like God thinks, but you have to start somewhere, and I believe that the, the Word of God has been one of the most attacked things um, for generations, and the reason why is that's where the knowledge of God, of who He is, and how to think and act like God has called you to think and act, that's where that knowledge comes from so it always is dependent on the person to take personal responsibility to go back to the word and to get out of the word everything that god says concerning it god does not automatically just download things to you now i've had plenty of times when god has downloaded things to me in terms of enlightenment and revelation come come to me but The majority of what I've learned about the Lord and about his spirit and about how to worship him and about how to have fellowship with him and relationship with him, all of that, almost all of it comes straight from the word of God. And anything outside of that that I just heard a spirit say to me always works in conjunction with his word. And so it always comes back to the, to the word. It always comes back to the knowledge that we get from the word of God. Let me, let me read this verse to you. This is absolutely awesome. And this is 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and in verse 5. And this is from the Passion Translation. I love this. It says, in him, you have been made extravagantly rich in every way. Oh my gosh, that's really awesome. Extravagantly rich in every way. That means that there's an over and abundance of riches and wealth, spiritually, naturally, in every sense of the word, in every way, there's an extravagance there that God has already given to us. It says, you have been endowed with a wealth of inspired utterance and the riches that come from your intimate knowledge of him. So this here says that, that riches, that spiritual riches, I believe it's primarily what it's talking about, and intimate knowledge that it comes from relationship with him. And one of the things that I've discovered about where knowledge comes from or how knowledge comes to certain people versus other people, they won't necessarily have as much knowledge. And when I'm talking about knowledge, again, I want to make this very clear. I'm not talking about just being able to quote Bible verses. And I, I can remember when I was, I was real young in a school, and they used to make us quote Bible verses and memorize Bible verses. But the older I got, I realized they made us quote things that they didn't have hardly, they didn't have any revelation of it. It was just paper and ink to them. So when I'm talking about getting knowledge, I'm talking about where revelation Where it's revealed to you, where the curtain is pulled back to where the full disclosure is there of what God is communicating. And I've said this many times, and I'll say it again because it bears repeating you do not have the intellectual capacity to understand the Word of God. I don't care if you're Thomas Edison or Isaac Newton or any other genius that's ever walked the face of the earth, the smartest person does not have the capacity to understand the concepts, the precepts, the perceptions the realities, the revelations that are in the word of God, no human being has a mind intelligent enough to understand it. But every human being with a humble, a contrite, and a heart posture towards the Lord can understand the deepest mysteries of the kingdom of God. Why? Because every person has free access to the spirit of God simply by faith in him. And the Bible says that the Spirit has been given to us so that we might, we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. So everything that God has given to us, every revelation, the Lord has those things in store for us, but it only comes from our intimate relationship with Him. here's one of the things, and this is what I want to talk about just for a few minute, a few minutes. Here's one of the things I have discovered concerning people and how really how to almost posture yourself to begin to receive that knowledge. And this is something that is so pervasive in our society, and our culture, and it used to just be in the world, but it's now really come into the church, and that is that there is not a healthy reverential fear of God. And this is something that can be really difficult to talk about because... You know, when you have people that have a revelation of grace, uh, I'll say a wrong revelation of grace. They have a partial revelation of grace. They'll say, oh, I don't need to be, I don't want to hear about all that fear of God stuff because I'm right with God and I'm blessed by God because he loves me. And you've got a partial truth there, but the Bible says that eye has not seen and ear has not heard nor have entered into the heart of man. This is New Testament now. The things which God has prepared for those who love him. There's a difference between God loving you and you loving God. God's love for you will never change. And your salvation won't change just because your love for God changes. Praise God for that. Otherwise, I'd have been lost a a long time ago and have never recouped my relationship with the Lord. But salvation isn't tied to, to your works or even how fervent you love God. But listen to me now. Your love for God, your reverence for God, your fear for God, is directly tied to what manifests in your life. Now, the danger is that you could get into one ditch or another. You could be in one ditch that says, "God loves me, and I don't, I don't have to worry about all that reverencing, fear God stuff," or you could get into the other ditch, to where you look at all of the scripture verses, and I'm going to read many of them to you very fast here in just a few moments, moments, you could get into that and go, oh man, I got to do this. I got to do this. I got it. And you can miss out on the whole heart of what God's saying. And you get into a system of works. Both of them are a ditch, but we need to have this confidence before the Lord that says, because of what Jesus has done, I am right with God and I have a relationship with the Lord. And my issues don't, don't change that and don't shake that but then we also don't want to be in, a, in, the, in the dish where we get into works, but we're steadfast and stable to say, there needs to be a healthy reverential fear of God in my life. And when you go back and look at the early church, I'm telling you, they had a reverence for God that we don't see in the church today. Now, I'm, not, I'm preaching to the choir mostly here. There's probably a few of you that really, really need to hear this. But as a whole, we can all go to another level in our reverence for God. We can all go to another level in our love for him. And when it talks about that eye is not seen and ear is not heard, and that's 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9, eye is not seen, ear is not heard, nor have entered into the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for those who love him, that word love there is agape. We talk about the Lord loving us with no strings attached. It's an agape kind of love. And truly, we love him because he first loved us. Praise God for his love for us. It's unending. It's far-reaching. It's long-suffering. He is so amazing. His love is so amazing. But you know what he's looking for? He's looking for people to have enough reverence for him that we will reciprocate that love back to him. What kind of love? An agape kind of love. No strings attached. What does that look like to have a love for God with no strings attached? Because so many times, and when you talk about love for God and a reverence for God, they go hand in hand. They're very, very close to each other. As a matter of fact, some translations will even interchange those words about fearing God or reverencing God and loving God. And so we need to come back to a place to where we position ourselves to really love God without any strings attached. And what does that look like to love him that way? I think it looks like this, that no matter what, it, what is happening in your life, that you still choose to love God. You still choose to go to the secret place. You still choose to reference him. Reference him. Reverence him. And reference him as you need to. (laughs) Amen. That's what that looks like. Because God loves us with no strings attached. No matter what you do, no matter how you think, no matter how bad you mess up, no matter what wrong you do, God's love for you doesn't change. Why? Because it's agape. It's a love with no strings attached to it. There's no performance that you have to do for God to love you. But to be honest with you, there's a lot of us that we stop reverencing and referencing, reverencing and loving God because we don't see him jump through the hoops that we believe that he needs to. We prayed for something and it didn't come to pass. We prayed for a revival in our community for five years and it didn't happen. And so then we stopped loving God. We prayed for Grandma Susie Q and she died. And we got our heart, got hardened towards the Lord. Why? Because we don't love him with an unconditional love. It says that God has those things prepared for those who agape him, who love him unconditionally. We need to think about how many times we expect God to jump through hoops. And if he doesn't do it, then we draw back, we pull back. Folks, that's what we call manipulation. And there are a lot of people that live and have a relationship with the Lord that there are plenty of strings attached. And if God doesn't pull through, then I'm going to quit tithing. If God doesn't pull through, I'm going to quit giving. Man, if something doesn't change here, I'm just going to I'm just I'm going to quit my praying that I, or whatever it is. And we may not even consciously think that, but yet we're always trying to go to the Lord because we want to get something out of our relationship instead of just going to give him something. That's what a reverence looks like to where we go to the Lord and we love him, we worship him, we honor him, we bless him just because he's God and he's worthy. Just because of that. And here's what I believe. I believe that the higher level of reverence we have for God, the higher level of love that we have for God, the greater the manifestation we'll see. And see, some people, they get so confused on this, and they go, well, I thought you were a grace preacher, and and God just loves us by grace, and he's given to us everything by grace. Yeah, all of that's true. But that doesn't mean that you've postured yourself, that you've positioned yourself to receive all of what God has. I mean, common sense will tell you that. You can have two people, they come into a service, and they're both drug dealers. And they come in, and they both get born again. And one of them says, you know what? I'm gonna stick around here. And I'm going to begin to learn some things about how to have a relationship with the Lord. And the other one goes out and goes right back into the lifestyle. And some people would say, well, he was never born again. Listen, I've met people that knew that they were born again, but still, still continue to live a life for themselves until one day they, they awakened. But I truly believe the Bible says that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. I believe the word just very plain and simple like that. So you could have two people, same scenario, same problem, same issue. One goes back out into the world and one stays and learns how to have relationship with Jesus. Which one do you think is going to benefit from hearing the word, from being around like-minded believers, from being around people that are passionate and pursuing the Lord? Which one do you think is going to benefit and which one do you think is going to stay stuck in the same problems? You guessed it. The one out in the world is going to have the same problems, the same issue. The one that's inside the church, the one that's in the flock, that's pressing into the Lord, that's the one who's going to reap the benefits. Why? Because there is a hunger, there's a reverence, there's a love inside of that person for the Lord that goes past how they feel, that goes past their mere understanding. This is one of the things I've found is that so many people are trying to intellectualize the Lord. Stop doing that. And this is why I think we're losing an entire generation is we have, we have all of these college campuses and stuff that are filled with all kinds of this, this mental ascent, and then you have the Christians coming in there with all of their mental ascent and all of the arguing and all of the stuff that goes on trying to get people mentally to accept the Lord. You can't know enough to accept God for who he is. You have to do it by faith. There needs to be a shift and a change in the church to where we start to present the God of the Bible the God who says, that says that we have to call on him by faith. It's not about knowing everything about God. You can't know everything about God. But you can choose to have a relationship with him simply because you've called on him by faith. And I believe that a lot of the church has not really reverenced and loved God fully for who he is. So when people do get saved, they see a bunch of intellectuals. People that are not really properly relating to the Lord like they're supposed to. They don't really fear God like they're supposed to. And what do they do? They go back out into the intellectual world and try to hypothesize what really happened to them spiritually. You and I are the ones that have the answers, but we have to be living the answers. There needs to be a fear and a reverence in our life. Man, and for all my, all my grace camp people, you know what? Let me, I'm going I'm I'm to stop that right there. You know what the Lord spoke to me? I'm actually putting this in a book. I'm in the process of writing a book. And he said, the camps are going, this is how he said it to me. The camps are going bye-bye. Find me camps in the New Testament church. You can't find it. And so we've got these people over here, and they think, oh, well, this is the revelation that I have. And these people over here, this is the revelation that I have. How about the revelation of Jesus Christ that comes from the word of God? Stop being stuck in your camp and your one mindset and your one, your one mentality and not receiving all of what the Lord has to offer. Well, but these people over here, they don't have the revelation that I have. So what? They probably have some things that you don't have. It's time for us to grow up and quit, quit dissecting the body of Christ. Quit cutting apart the, the church of the Lord Jesus. There are people that have revelations, understandings about things that you do not have, that we need what God has revealed to them. And for all of the people that would still say, well, I'm in the grace camp. I hear what you're saying, but I'm part of... You know what? You know what I didn't learn? I learned, I, I cut my teeth on the gospel, on the love of God, on the grace of God, and it changed my life forever. It's still the main theme that runs through my message. But you know, one thing that I, as I, as I developed some understanding from some things that other people had to offer, I realized that I didn't have a proper reverence for God like I really needed to. It just wasn't there. And you say, well, that was your fault, not the, not the teacher's fault. You're probably right. But I didn't learn that from that camp. I learned it from another one. You know what the Lord wants to do? He wants to take all of the revelations that are all from him, and he wants them to work together, to be combined together. You want to know what part of the mandate is on my life? Is that I take all of the revelations, all of the truths that God has revealed that are true, biblical, biblically sound truths from the word and begin to see them merge together and work together. That's what we're seeing here in this church. God has called this church to be a blueprint for churches in the earth. You say, why? You're not, listen, you have to look through the eyes of faith. Because sometimes I look at it and I go, well, who is this? Who are we? This just hole in the wall, apparently hole in the wall church in, in the middle of podunk Perryville nowhere. Listen, God sees us different than that. This is where we have to go back and say God what are you speaking to us? You know what he spoke to me also? He said you're going to rewrite church history. This church is going to rewrite church history. Why? Because we take everything that God has to offer and we believe everything that the Lord the Lord has to offer. This is where we have to rightly discern things that are being passed out, things that are being dealt because there's things that I've learned over here that were so powerful, but yet they were missing some things. And so instead of condemning their whole message, I go, you know what, God? I see that there's something missing there, but I'm still going to receive all of the... I'm going to eat the hay and just spit out the sticks. Great revelation can come to you if if you'll do that. Amen. You know what it says in Acts chapter. Two, in verse 42, it says, they, can, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayer. Apostles' doctrine, breaking bread, fellowship, and prayer. You know, the church needs to get back to being a praying church. Not a begging church, but a praying church to where we consult God. We go to God we spend time with him. As a matter of fact, it's not to where we're like, well, yep, uh, time for me to pray. We just live in prayer. We built a whole prayer room here. I'm not saying we utilize it the very best we can, but at least the heart is there. They're like, God, we have to hear from heaven. We have to hear from you because we don't know enough of what we're doing. We have to have your help. And whenever people get stuck in their idea and their revelation and they don't go past And they don't continue on with the Lord. They have made their revelation a God instead of allowing God to be a God. Come on now. It's the truth. We've all been guilty of this. But it says that they continued steadfastly in those things. You know what I've found is that someone who has a life of prayer, who devotes their life to fellowship and relationship with the Lord and all the different kinds of prayer that are are involved. Some people have an ultimate calling to prayer, but everybody is supposed to be a person of prayer. You know what I I find out when I read that? The next verse, Acts chapter two and verse 43, it says, then great fear came upon all the people and and many signs and wonders were done. You wanna see many signs and wonders done? We need to be doing those four things, apostles, doctrine, breaking of bread, fellowship and prayer. And I believe that great fear will come upon us. What kind of fear? To where we're afraid of God? No, but to where we have a holy reverence of God this generation of, of Christians, forget the world generation. And I, I don't want to be hard on the church. I hate it when I, when I listen to certain ministers and they just, they're just they constantly screaming and yelling at the church. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be guilty of that. I love you. I love God's people. But I'm also a voice that God is raising up to, to speak the truth. And you know what we're missing? We are missing a holy reverential fear of God and who he is. And if we're not going to come back to that, we will not have God's best in our life. And I'm going to show you several things from the Word. I already mentioned a couple different things. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9 and then Acts chapter 2 and verse 43 concerning loving God, fearing God. They really go hand in hand with each other. And this is the definition of what God gave me about fear. And I'm going to do this all very quickly because I'm running out of time. This is a definition that as I was sitting and listening to a minister one time, Dwayne Sheriff, if you know who Dwayne Sheriff is, awesome minister. And he gave this definition of the fear of God. And I wrote it down in my Bible and I I go to it from time to time. One of the only actual whole phrases I've written down in my Bible, it was this one phrase. And it, it is that the fear of God is when you want God more than anything else. When you want God more than anything else. The fear of God is when you want him more, more, more than anything else. You know what? This is the time for us to reflect and look at what has just taken place in our, in our world, really. But our country, our state, our local community, everything's shut down. Do we want baseball more than we want Jesus? Do we want hockey more than we want Jesus? There was a time in my life when I had to say hockey hockey was an idol for me. It's not anymore. I enjoy watching a hockey game or going to one, but it's it's not idolatry for me. I could lose that and be just fine, but I'm telling you now, I can't lose Jesus and be fine. No way. When you fear God, it's because you, you want him more than anything else. All of our sporting events were shut down and Pastor Rodney Howard Brown was one that prophesied that overnight, that all the sporting events and churches, he's been saying this for years, they will be shut down. He didn't know how, but he knew that the spirit of God was saying, it's going to happen. And here it happened. Literally, you could say overnight, everything was shut down. Let me ask you something. Do you idolize a church service or do you idolize Jesus? These are real questions. I've had to come back and say, God, What are we really after here? Do we idolize what religion has made church to be? Or do we idolize Jesus? Do we really want God more than anything else? Do we really want God more than anything else? Do we idolize our jobs? A lot of people are out of work at the moment. Do we idolize the government? Are we wanting the government to come in and save us? Are we wanting the government to come in and give us a handout? Or are we really looking to the Lord? What do we really want? It's a question to ask yourself, what do I really want? Because if I really fear God, I'm going to want him more than anything else. And I'm telling you, that's a, it's a time to look, not in, a, not in a condemning way, but to look inward and say, what do I really want in this life? what am I really after? All of the things that we do, this is how I see it. Everything that we do is gonna be placed on the altar one day and the fire of God is going to consume, is gonna come down and it's gonna consume everything that we did that was wood, hay and stubble, works of man that were not God. But then what's left will be what's left. Let me ask you something. If that were to happen today or tomorrow, to where your works would be judged, I'm not talking about for going to heaven, folks. Anytime you talk about judgment, people go, oh, I don't know if I'm ready. You're ready, okay? You're going to go to heaven to be with Jesus if you've put your trust in him. I'm talking about what we do after we put our trust in him. If you could lay everything out that you're doing right now, because see, it's not so much how you start, it's how you finish. If you could lay everything out right now, what is your life about? Is it about your job? Is it about your church service? Is it about your car? Is it about your home? Is it about your children? Is it about your husband? You know, you can make the one that God has called to walk by your side, you can make that an idol in your life. You can make it to where you fear them more than you fear God. And you can look at Saul and David and look at the difference. David feared God and he did did tremendous things. He wasn't perfect, but he did have a fear for God. It says that Saul feared man. Out of his own mouth, Saul admitted, "I, I feared man. What could you say about yourself? Do you care more about what people think than what God thinks? Because, you know, if you look in the mirror, if you hear Somebody say, God loves you unconditionally and you are blessed and highly favored and God has great things for you. And then you look in the mirror and you say, I'm ugly, I'm this, that, and the other and I'll never accomplish anything. You know what you're doing? You are idolizing your natural looks over what God says about you. You don't fear God. You don't reverence God like you really need to. I feel accomplished today because I'm saying all this very calm because I get really fired up sometimes. And then people think I'm being hard on them. If I was really fired up and saying what I'm saying, people would say you're being really hard on me. But I'm just telling you the truth. It says that Jesus, the law came through Moses, but Jesus came and grace and truth came. Now, if truth is the same thing as grace, why did it distinguish between the two? There's there's the greatest measure of grace that the world has ever known that came through Jesus. But the same is true about truth that he brought. Folks, I'm telling you, there needs to be a reverence come back in the people of God. And I think that things have been misconstrued in times past because you'll hear it be like, there needs to be a reverence and a fear in the house of God. (laughs) So then you get people showing up dress to the gills. And and I'm not against dressing up nice. You want to dress nice? Dress nice. My motto is be clean and modest. That's my deal. Modest for guys because it's just gross. Modest for girls because you're girls. You need to be modest. That's my motto. But if you just have the reverence for the house of God, then all you have is a service of people acting religiously and the reverence isn't necessarily in their heart. The reverence needs to start in your heart and in your home. What are you listening to? What are your kids listening to? What are you watching? What are you putting before your eyes? What do your conversations look like? And see, again, this is where I'll lose people. They go, well, this just sounds hard, pastor, and I thought you were a grace preacher. I'm a Jesus preacher. I'm a Paul. I, I, I preach what Paul preached. Paul was the one that gave the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's the one that explained grace to us. This is not our heaven or our hell issue. This is not God accepting you or not accepting you. This is you being acceptable. God can, God can accept you without you being an acceptable person. Actually, that's what grace is all about. <laughs> There's not a one of us that live acceptable enough for God to really accept us. That's why he does it by grace. But there should be something stirring us that go, you know what, Lord? I don't want to do that stuff anymore. I don't want to live like that. I want my focus and my attention turned toward you. I want to fear you and reverence you. Not so that other people will look and think I'm so holy. Not to try to gain something for you, but because you deserve it. And I want to posture and position myself rightly before you to receive all of the benefits of what the kingdom has to offer. And again, some people could say, well, oh, I believe it's all given to us by grace. It is. But that doesn't mean you're going to walk in it or receive it or manifest it is the best way to say it. It doesn't mean you're going to manifest it in your life. If you're continuing to to live like the devil, you're going to get the devil's results. But the more you move towards the Lord, the more you're going to get kingdom results in your life. There's not, I mean, if the room was full today in here, I could say, who in here wants to receive God's best? Yeah. And everybody would raise their hand. And if I could get an honest answer and say, who in here wants to fear God? I'd probably get about 30% of hands raised. <laughs> I'm telling you, they go together. You can't have God's best while living out in the world. You can't have God's best. And it's not that just living in some gross sin, but it's just having a heart postured to where He is more important to you than anything else more important than what you think is right, what you believe, how you were raised, any of, any of that kind of stuff. Let me give you some scripture verses on this very quickly. Knowledge, excuse me, uh, the fear of God gives seven things. There's seven things that the fear of God will give, and I'm going to read. I'm going to read this so fast, and then I will take a picture of the notes, and we'll put it on there because you're not going to be able to write as fast as I'm going to read all right? So the fear of God will give seven things different things that I've got listed. There's probably 70 things that could come from the fear of God. But here are benefits of living in the fear of God. And let me say this, that there are, I'm going to read, I probably have 15 scripture verses here. There are probably, I'm going to guess 200 scripture verses that either, either are directly or indirectly related to the fear of God, to how we act before the Lord, to how we posture ourselves before the Lord. The first thing, that the fear of God can give. And this is going off of what I've been talking about is knowledge or revelation knowledge. It says in Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 2.5, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. Knowledge comes after fear, after reverence. Psalm 25.14, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him and he will show them his covenant. And if you read in the Passion Translation, it says that that the secrets of the Lord are revealed to the the lovers of God. The ones who love him or reverence him are the ones that have the secrets revealed to them. You can't just read the Bible and go, I'm gonna understand the great deep secret mysteries of of the Lord and do it in your mind and not really connect with the Lord. It comes from connecting with him. Here's Here's number two thing that comes from fearing God. Wisdom. It says in Proverbs 9, in verse 10, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You say, what's the difference between knowledge and understanding? Knowledge is information, it's illumination, it's revelation, but wisdom is how you apply that. So you could have all of this knowledge, but then not have a clue how to apply it. So then how do you apply it? Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The third thing that the fear of the Lord will give you is long life. Proverbs 10 and 27, it says, the fear of the Lord prolongs days, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. Proverbs nineteen twenty three. the fear of the Lord leads to life so that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. I like that. Let me read that again, Proverbs nineteen twenty three. The fear of the Lord leads to life so that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. Here's something else the fear of the Lord will give you is confidence. Proverbs 14, 26 through 27, in the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence and his children will have refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may avoid the snares of death. Man, i am telling you, I meet so many people, so many people in fearing the Lord. You either do it or you don't. It's not about perfection. It's about posturing your heart. I meet so many people that will, like, I just need you to pray over this. I, I just need you to pray over that. And I'm having this situation and that situation. And they've got all of this garbage happening in their life. And it's a complete result of the seeds they've sown in the flesh and they're reaping it. If they would just pull back and say, God, I'm going to reverence you and love you. And I'm going to make that my main focus. Those people, and you could be one of those people, and God loves you. But those people, would stop having probably 95% of the problems that they're having in life. Some of y'all listening, you live in constant turmoil in your life, and you can't figure out why. Because you don't fear God. When you wake up in the morning, you think about you, your needs, what you have to do, all of that. You don't reverence God first. When you go to bed at night, your wheels are spinning about all the things that you didn't do or you did wrong or you could have done better and what tomorrow brings. What are you doing? You're not reverencing God. You're not fearing God. You're not wanting him more than you're wanting to fix your problems. I'm not saying your problems don't exist, but most of the problems you have, you're not big enough to fix them. You need God. How do you get the answers to your problems? Reverencing God, fearing God. Here's another thing that that the fear of the Lord will give you, blessing and favor. Psalm 112 verse 1, it says, praise the Lord. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. And I know some people could say, well, we're set free from the law. Of course you're set free from the law of sin and death. But whatever happened to the person that says, man, I'd love to do what God wants me to do. Come on now. What God's commanded us to do, it's not bad. What he's told us to do, it's not bad. It's a good thing. God tells us to do things that are good for us, that benefit us. And if we fear him, we'll say, God, I want to do that thing. Not to get him to bless us, but so that we we reap the results of the blessing he's already given us. Old covenant man would say, God, I'm going to do this so you will bless me. A new covenant is different. We say, Lord, we know that we are already blessed through Jesus and our performance doesn't cause us to be any more blessed. But I do know that how I posture my heart and posture my life will put me in the position to receive the open windows from heaven that are already there. If God's poured out blessing through open, open, heaven, and open heaven and open windows from heaven, however you want to say it, if you ain't standing underneath of the window, you're not going to get it. I mean, if it was just as simple as God giving it, everybody would have it. Process of elimination, will tell you, some people reap reap the rewards of a relationship with the Lord and others don't. Why? Because they fear him. And the other ones don't fear him. If you feared God, if you reverenced God, you would fall to your knees at least one time a day. And if it's not physical, at least in your heart, to say, God, this is about you. My life is about you. It belongs to you. Everything belongs to you. And I want you to lead the way and I'm gonna stop leading my own way. There's a way that seems right unto to a man, but the end thereof is death. You ever met a person before that it's like everything they do, they might even be trying to do the right thing, but everything they're doing always leads to problems and issues and death and whatever in some kind of way. Why is that? Because they're not including God in what they're doing. They're just doing. Joshua talks about in Joshua chapter one and verse, verse eight, it says that this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate there in day and night so that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. If you can have good success, you can have bad success. You know what bad success is? Doing stuff without God. Make a billion bucks, do it without God, bad success. Make a thousand bucks, do it with the blessing of the Lord, Good success. Good success is to have God involved in your life. Amen. Also, it says, Psalm 128 and one, it says, how blessed is everyone who fears the Lord who walks in his ways. There's blessing that comes. Again, you have to to differentiate between the old and the new covenant. The old says you have to do to get blessed. The new covenant says you just simply have to believe to be blessed. However, you can say you believe something but then not have actions that follow up what you believe. You really don't believe it. <laughs> come on now. Psalm 128, verse 4, it says, Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Two more things that it, that it gives you that I'm listing here. Protection, Psalm 34, 7, it says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Praise God. You fear God and angels will come around you. And you say, well, I just... I still, I don't, this seems legalistic. It's not legalism. It's relationship. It's, it's, it's positioning yourself with the Lord for him to manifest in your life. You can't tell me that there wasn't a difference between how Jesus walked, how the early apostles walked, and how many people walk today. This is why when they saw Peter, they said, let's take the sick people out in the streets and lay them there so that as Peter's walking by, And hopefully his shadow is casting the right direction that maybe some of the sick folk will get healed if just his shadow will fall upon people. Why do you think that they thought that? I guarantee you it's because Peter reverenced God. Peter had a fear of God. Peter's business was all about God's business. Jesus' business was all about God's business. Psalm 145 and 19, it says, He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. So protection is one the, the second to the last thing, and then salvation is the last thing I want to mention here. It says in Psalm 85 and 9, it says, Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. You know that you, you can't even get born again without having some level of reverence for God. Inside of every single human being that's ever walked walk the face of the earth, there is an intuitive knowledge There is an intuitive knowledge that's already there that they were created by God. They were created by something or someone greater than them. And they can choose whether to reverence that or to turn their hearts from it. They may not understand it, but they have a choice to say, you know what? I need to find out some answers as to what is going on. What is the meaning of life? Why am I here? How did I get here? And I'm gonna make sure that I relate to that person properly. Because after all, they are the ones that created me. I don't even believe in atheists. When people say that they're an atheist, I go, no, you're just denying what you know to be true. There are, people don't really not believe in God. They say they do, but there's something inside of every human being that says that there is a God, I am not him, and I need to know him. Every person, every human being has that intuitive knowledge. Are they going to fear him or not? The ones that fear that intuitive knowledge that was placed in there by God, those are the ones that find salvation. Let me say one last thing. So I gave you seven things, revelation, knowledge, wisdom, long life, confidence, blessing and favor, protection and salvation all come. They're all benefits from fearing the Lord. But let me say one more thing about the fear of the Lord. And that is that people who fear the Lord hate evil. You can separate the whole world into two two camps. Those who fear the Lord and those who don't. We see so many people They call themselves Christians. It's I'm not the judge to determine whether they're really truly saved or not. That's God's job. They call themselves Christians and they don't hate evil. If you have a true reverential fear of God, you will hate evil. It says in Psalm, or excuse me, Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 13, it says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance in the evil way, in the perverted mouth I hate. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. You know what it says in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20? It says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. You know that I don't have a problem with the world loving darkness and loving evil, but I do have a problem with the church loving it. If you have to work to justify your position, you're wrong. If you have to work to justify what you're doing, you're wrong. If you have to work to justify, whether it be before a bunch of other people or before the Lord in your own heart and your own mind, if you have to justify what you're doing, you're wrong. If you have to justify the sin you're living in, you're wrong. That's evil. And you don't reverence God, you don't fear God. Is that too plain? It's the truth. This sounds like one of those kind of things where I would get, because see, grace people are really attracted to me because mostly what I preach is about, man, God's love and, and the righteousness we have in Christ Jesus. And I believe all of that, all of it. But some of those same people that are, so, that are so excited about the revelation of the gospel, they've actually come into a form of perversion to where they think that their actions don't matter. And let me just say, you can live like an idiot and still get into heaven. You can There'll be many idiots in heaven. They won't act. Sorry, I'm getting corrected. There'll be many unlearned, goofy people in heaven, and a few sarcastic people too. Excuse me for my sarcasm. But you can't tell me that it doesn't matter how you live your life. It is a wrong, perverted, messed up, quote, gospel. For people that would say, I'm saved by grace, I'm saved by grace, God saved me. And they live their life without any reverence for the Lord. You say, well, holiness doesn't cause God to accept us. Nope, but it'll cause other people to reject him when you're living unholy. It says, without holiness, no man will see the Lord. That's been taken, I believe, and misconstrued to say that if you don't live a perfect holy lifestyle, God, you'll never see God. That's not true. If that were the case, nobody would see God because none of us live holy enough. But as far as how other people see our life, they should be able to see you jumping and shouting and hooting and hollering at church, and they should be able to see the same thing at home. Your same enthusiasm that you would have at church or in some religious service of some type or concert or whatever, your same enthusiasm for that, they should see that same thing person to person because you have a reverence for the Lord. So without holiness, no man will see the Lord. With holiness will cause people to see the Lord. Why would you live holy? To get God to accept you? You're a fool if you think that. You can't live holy enough for God to accept you. But you should live acceptable to the Lord because it is your high call. How shameful for people to say I'm the righteousness of God, I'm the righteousness of God, I'm the righteousness of God, and then go out and live like however and not have any care or remorse. I question, now I'm not personally going to say I don't think you're saved, but I question people like that whether they really have been saved. Because I can tell you now, I did not live in perfection. I didn't live ever, I still don't live in perfection. And I even had struggles in my life from the time I got born again, even till this day, not perfect. But there's something in me that always steps back that says, God, I don't want to do that. I want to say the right thing. I want to do the right thing. I want to think like you. I want to believe like you. I want to act like you. So the whole purpose of having a revelation of how we are, who we are in the spirit and how God made us is to manifest it outward. And it's not just so that we can be healed and, and, and gain uh, financial prosperity in our life. It's also that holiness will manifest in our life. If people walk into your home and they look through your DVD collection and they look at the, 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 the songs on your playlist, I mean, who's anybody to judge you but God? Right? And I know people would say, People shouldn't judge. Well, they do. They do. You do it too. We all do it. You should be able to have a confidence that people could flip through your life and it'd be clean. It'd be good. Now, the other side of that is if you had a problem, (laughs) hopefully they'd say, man, can I help you get free from this? Hey, man, there's grace there. I'm not trying to be hard on anybody, but we we should be looking towards that, looking forward to that. Paul, the one that preached grace, the strongest, that revealed it to us, the strongest. He's the one in every single one of his letters. Everyone, without exception, he gave correction. And he said, don't live like the world lives. Don't live like the Gentiles live in the lusts of their flesh, given over to carnality. Don't live like that. And he wasn't talking about perfection because, guys, nobody's perfect. But it is about posturing your heart to say, Lord, everything belongs to you. If this doesn't line up with who God is and how you made me on the inside. Father, I want you to change it. I want you to change this thing. I want you to help me change. And I'm willing because I reverence you enough. I fear you enough. I love you enough to make the change. Thank you for listening to the weekly message. To find out more about Overcomers Church International and to hear more messages like this one, please visit our website at ociparibelt.com.